Father's Day is a whole lot like Mother's Day. It's often difficult to have Father's Day and Mother's Day because what you want to do is start talking about what a great mom is according to the Bible and, you know, talk about mom and stories and uh, the world's greatest mom and all that sort of thing. You do the same thing on Father's Day, what the Bible says father ought to be and, you know, my dad was this, my dad was that and wonderful stories and memories and and things you talk about with daddy being a wonderful man and uh it's kind of like the song they just did uh, we came in when they were practicing that song on that sunday afternoon and uh when they got through practicing i said something about to my brother i said do you remember daddy's hands you know and <laughs> he said yeah i do and so he i think he i think daddy laid hands on him more than he did on me but uh <laughs> anyway that's why he turned out so good but but it can be difficult sometimes on Father's Day as Mother's Day because of all the stories. And so, uh, because it just as many people can stand up and say, boy, my daddy was great, wonderful, worst, greatest dad and all that. Others stand up and say, you didn't know my dad. My dad was either absent or my dad was at home but should have been absent. Or my dad was, I can't even describe what my dad was in public to a church. You know, those kind of stories come out too, don't they? And so it makes it hard, and so what we want to do today is look at our Heavenly Father and who He is. So how did this whole thing get started anyway? This thing called Father's Day, it began in the United States, is uh, the main country that does this, to honor fathers. Credit for originating the holiday is given to Sonora Smart Dodd. Three names there, Sonora Smart Dodd, in Spokane, Washington, whose father, Sonora's father, was a Civil War veteran, and he raised her, Sonora, and five siblings. He raised six children by himself because the mother died at childbirth on the last child. Uh, Sonora is said to have had the idea in 1909 while listening to a sermon on Mother's Day, which at the time was becoming an established holiday during that time. Well, local, local religious leaders supported the idea, and the first Father's Day was celebrated June 19, 1910, uh, which was the same month as her daddy's birthday. Well, 1924, Calvin Coolidge uh, gave his support to the observance, and then in 1966, President Johnson issued a pro- proclamation to recognize the day. Then finally, in 1972, President Richard Nixon signed legislation designating the third Sunday of June as Father's Day. And then I thought this was interesting. You may not have thought that was interesting, but I thought this was interesting. So maybe you'll get the rest of it. Uh, although it was originally a religious holiday to begin with, Father's Day was, it's commercialized with greeting cards and gifts. And But here's what I found interesting. Some observe the custom of wearing a red rose to indicate that one's father is still living or a white rose to indicate that he's deceased. So I thought that was interesting. You might. Say, so, well, it wasn't. So move on. Well, other males, for example, grandfathers, uncles also have assumed parenting roles, and they're also honored on this day. And so as we say then, we want to make sure we honor uh, our Heavenly Father, but I want us to give something to all the fathers today. And in just a moment, I'll just those who took up the offering, just hold on. You don't have to come get a chat, but in just a second. Uh, going to give the fathers and the men uh, something just like we did on Mother's Day. But before I do that, just want to talk about men, first of all, because I'm going to ask all the men or boys stand, and you're going to get one of these. Uh, we live in a country today, we're not sure what a man is anymore. 
we've got Supreme Court judges that don't know what a man or woman is. We've got cabinet members of our country that don't know what a man or woman is. And so what is one? We have to go to the Bible to find out. God created both men and women in his image and his likeness. It's a God thing. Scripture portrays men in both their strengths and their weaknesses, their successes and their failures. While noting that they are incomplete without women and share equally in the privileges and tasks entrusted to them by God, men have nevertheless been given specific responsibilities by God. Men have. The place of men, what is that? Men are equal with women in creation. Men are incomplete without women. Absence of men in society is seen as a curse. According to the Bible now, not society. Men are equal with women in redemption, salvation that is. The role of men, men are, men's role is a leader in marriage and family life, in society and worship, and leaders of the early church. Character requirements of men, according to the Bible, is to be prayerful and godly. Men requirement, according to the Bible, is to be courageous. Men, according to the Bible, the requirement is to be determined and decisive. Men, according to the Bible, are to be humble. Men, according to the Bible, are to love their wives. Men, according to the Bible, are to be good fathers to their children. Scripture says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so the Bible speaks a great deal about men in general, but here today we're talking about fathers in particular. The father is the, according to the Bible now, the father is the male parent of children. I know. Totally against society. I get that. That's the Bible. Scripture indicates the role and responsibilities of fathers and shows how God can be thought of as a loving father who directs and guides his children. Responsibilities of fathers now. The responsibility to love, instruct, and discipline their children in the ways of the Lord. In return, they're to be honored and obeyed by their children. Role of fathers is to love and care for their children, discipline their children, and instruct their children. The ideal father, according to the Bible, is one who loves God, is obedient to God, and reflects God in their daily living and the care and the upbringing of their children. Colossians 3.21, the Bible says, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. The word embitter means to cause to become bitter or cause them to become resentful, cause them to become stirred up. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Exasperate means provoke to anger. And so the Bible gives many, many instructions on what a father is to be and what a father is not to be. Uh, this was handed to me this morning. It says, Happy Father's Day. What makes a dad? God took the strength of a mountain, the majesty of a tree, the warmth of a summer sun, the calm of a quiet sea, the generous soul of nature, the comforting arm of night, the wisdom of the ages, the power of eagle's flight, the joy of a morning and spring, the faith of a mustard seed, 
the patience of eternity, the depth of a family need, then God combined these qualities when there was nothing more to add. He knew his masterpiece was complete, and so he called it Dad. And so uh, Jackson, Jr., if y'all would come on and each get a uh, packet here. You have that one, and I'll give this one to Jr. when he comes. Inside the packet, you'll notice a, uh, a little packet inside the packet. And so if all the men and all the fathers would stand, just if you're a man, if you're a boy, you're, you're a male that God has created as a male. You'll always be a male, according to what God says. If you'll just stand and, and let them come by and give you a, uh, thank you, and let them come by and give you a pendant. This is what is known sometimes as a dog tag uh, in the military, and it's got a scripture on it and a little statement on there. Uh, mine has 2 Corinthians 5.1, says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And so it's just something special for all the men, all the fathers. And we just thank the Lord for men, for fathers, and glad you're here today, worshiping the Lord together with one another. And so uh, thank you. Lots of men today. Good, good, good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, as we look at the scriptures in, as we move on, uh, we see the title is, I will be a father to you. And we're talking about God, of course. God wants to be the father to all of us. And so he is, and he desires to be. And so we begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You gave them all away, huh? All right. Good for you. And we still got a few being passed out. You got enough there, Jack? You going to have enough? All right. There's another packet right over here on this front row. Let him have that packet there. I don't think it's been opened yet, so you may have to rip it open or not. She's got one right there. <laughs> uh, maybe not. I think she got it. Okay. She's got hands. Strong hands. Mama's hands, yeah. She's got strong mama's hands. Yeah, it is, isn't it? All right. Thank you there. There we go. Now we got them all covered. Okay, good. Thank you. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 is where we begin this morning. Bible says, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them, walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be, be my people. And so God is asking a question. He's coming to the end of a, a section here where he's saying, what is there between temple of God and idols? What is their agreement? What is there to have in common? And there's nothing. There's nothing in common with the temple of God and idols. Idols in that day and time, particularly in the nation of or city of Corinth, was simply something you would make out of silver or gold, and you would place it in your home, and you'd worship it. And it had all kinds of different gods, little g-gods, uh, all kind of idols they would worship in that day and time, much like today. Now, many people don't have today on in their home some kind of little idol, but we have idols today in America, don't we? Do you know some of the names of the idols that people worship in America today? Money. What? Possessions. What? TV. Fame. Sports figures. You had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> what? Okay, yeah. So we have a lot of idols in America today, don't we? All over the world. 
And so it may not look like they're idols that they made out of something of gold and silver, put it on the shelf, but we still have them today. And so what are the, what is the agreement? What is there in common with the temple of God and the idols of that day and this day today? And, of course, there is none because the temple of the living God, as God is, for we are the temple of the living God. Sometimes if you ever ask somebody a question, ask them, where does God live? Or if they ask you, where does God live? The answer ought to be right here in my heart. See, if we're born again, if we're saved, if we've come into the kingdom of God, God lives right in our heart through the Holy Spirit. And so that's why he says the temple of the living God, that's us. God living in us, God possessing us, the Holy Spirit living in us. We are the temple of the living God. So we have nothing in common with idols. Because idol is something you put on a shelf or something in the house or something that we look at that you describe. That we have nothing in common about. Because we are a living vessel for the living God. As God has said, I will live with them. Uh, so he, he goes on some of the other scriptures that are in Corinth and other places too. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? We should understand we are God's temple. God lives within us. If we're born again, if we're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And also in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, do you not know that your body is temple of the Holy Spirit? says it once again, who is in you whom you receive from God? We receive the Holy Spirit from God. He lives in us. That makes us the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. How much do you think you cost? How much are you worth? You were bought at a price. Hmm? Yeah, the life of Jesus. Our salvation, our redemption, our eternal life cost Jesus his life. That's how valuable we are to God. God said, you're so valuable to me, I'm willing to allow my son to die for you so that you can be set free from sin and free to serve and have a home in heaven waiting for you when you get there. And he says, that's how valuable you are. You're not your own. You bought it at a price. And so don't ever think you're not somebody special because you are. It may not be to somebody else, but you are to God. We always are because he says, you're not your own, you're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We're so valuable. He says, take what's valuable and use it to honor God. You wouldn't take something you go out and buy, something at a store, you bring it home. It's great. It's new. It's brand new. You just got it. You want to make sure you protect it. You don't want to get a scratch on it. You don't want anything to happen to it. You don't want to get knocked off on the floor or anything like that. That's us. We're valuable. And we should protect it. We should honor it. We should take care of it, talking about our body, because this is where Jesus lives. He, he, we are the temple where he lives in. So going back to that other verse then, we just want to emphasize that we are the temple of the living God. Holy Spirit lives in us. But he says there in that first verse, I will live with them. What does it mean by that? I will live with them simply means this. I will dwell with them. The other word for live is to dwell. The word dwell simply means settle down. Usually, when somebody gets married, we use a term called, they settle down. Meaning that if a guy, we'll, we'll pick on the men today since it's Father's Day, usually it means this, a man got married, so he settles down with his wife. Therefore, when Chuck married Allison, he didn't date anybody else after that. He didn't go out with any other woman. I mean, he didn't date her. He didn't date other women. He, he, he settled down. And he's totally devoted to her. And so when, it, when that happens, that's what he's talking about. So God says, I want to dwell with you. I want to just settle down with you. 
I want to come into your home and just settle with you and just be at home with you. I want to influence you. The word to live with and dwell means to influence somebody. God says, I just want to come in, dwell with you, settle down with you, and I want to influence you in your home every single day. I just want to make a home with you. And that's what we've talked about in a home so many times. There's something different about a home and a house, isn't it? You know, we can live in a house, but it takes something special to live in a home, doesn't it? We, we, this is our home. It's not just our house. It's our home. It's where two people live or three people or how many live in the home. It's where they live and settle down and dwell together and have influence over each other. God said, that's what I want with you also. I want to just live with you, settle down with you. So I also says, I want to walk among you. I just want to be involved in your daily life. Just wherever you go, you're going to town, I'm going with you. You're going to Walmart, I'm going, I'm going with you. If, if you're going to Walmart, you better make sure God goes with you, probably, huh? And so, especially if it's 10 o'clock at night. But uh, he says, I just want to go about your daily life with you. Wherever you go, I want to be there with you. You're going to town, you're going to shopping, you're going to restaurants, you're going to visit somebody. God says, I just want to go with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be where you are. Isn't that amazing how when you love somebody, you just want to be where they are? Just want to be where they are. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing that Cheryl just wants to be where I am. You know, it's, 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 just, it's just strange, isn't it? You know, you find it amazing too, Chuck says, okay. Uh, <laughs> I walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Moving right along then. <laughs> But when you love somebody, you just want to be where they are. Doesn't matter where that is. It could be at the house. It could be in the store. It could be a fishing trip. It could be wherever. You want to be where they are because you want to be involved with their daily life. That's what God says. He says, I love you. I bought you. I paid for you with the life of my son. I just want to be where you are. If you're at home, I want to be with you at your home. If you're going somewhere in your car, I want to be with you in your car. If you're going walking in the yard, I want to be out in the yard with you. I just want to be where you are, and that's who God is. That's what makes him such a great father. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to walk with us in our daily life. But he also says, I just want to be your God. I want to be your creator, which he does. He creates us. He makes us. He forms us. We're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, Scripture says. And he says he's our creator, but he's also our sustainer of life. If we're living, it's because of him. He sustains our life. But he also says, I want to be your father. I want to be your protector. I want to be the one that you give worship, praise, and honor to. He said, I want to be your everything, in other words. He said, when you think of me as your creator, your sustainer, your father, your protector, the one who gives you life, give me praise, give me worship, give me honor. And so he says, as a result of all that, you're going to be my people. You're going to be my nation. You're going to be my group or my tribe or my church, my children. However you want to refer to it this morning, a good way to talk about it would be about I want to be your children because we're talking about him being our father, so therefore we're his children. So when he says those four statements in that verse, I want to live with you, settle down with you, dwell with you. I want to walk among you. I just want to go where you go. I want to be where you are. and You're going to be my people. He's talking about us being a temple of the Holy Spirit, the living God, a loving father that lives within us lives in her home, and lives in her heart. That's God the Father this morning. So many times when we think about fathers, you know, we may think about, oh, my father, my daddy, you know, and we share some 
story about dad or father, you know, because it wasn't that good and wasn't that pleasant and wasn't something we really want to talk about. God says, I want you to talk about me because I am your father. I'm the one who lives with you. I'm the one who walks with you. I'm the one who is your God. And I want you to just give me the honor and the praise and the glory as a result of it. So moving on then, therefore, he says, as God does this for us, therefore, come out from them, talking about the idols and the world in which we used to live, and be separate, says the Lord. Separate yourselves from the world and be different. Don't be what the world is anymore. Don't do what the world does anymore. Don't act like you used to act before you came, became a temple of the Holy Spirit. Be separate. Be different. Touch no unclean thing, and I'll receive you. So God is saying there that his temple, being us, we've been set free from the bondage of sin. See, before we got saved, as we've talked about over the last few weeks uh, a little bit, there's three parts to our testimony, isn't it? Our salvation testimony. There's that testimony of what our life was like before we got saved. How we lived, how we acted, how we talked, what we did, all of our life before we got saved. Then the second part of our testimony is, how did I know I needed Jesus? How did I know I needed to be saved? How did I know I needed to come out of that lifestyle and be changed as a result of what Jesus could do for me? And then the third part of our testimony is simply, what my life is like now since I've met Jesus before I got saved. How am I different now from how I was over here? And so that's all the part of our, our salvation testimony. And so what he's saying to us there here is that I've set you free from the bondage of the sin that held on to you back over here before you got saved. Sin dictated your life. Sin told you what to do. You did what sin wanted you to do because that's what you enjoy doing. Uh, when, when I was doing things I used to do before I got saved, I enjoyed it. To me, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It, it was taking me to hell. It was taking me in the wrong direction, but I still enjoyed it at the time. It had bondage on me. It had bondage on me. So he says, come out from that because now you're at the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives in you. God lives in you. He walks with you. He wants to dwell with you. So we need to come out from that bondage and be clean to be set free and to just enjoy fellowship with God. Now we want to be where God is. God, I like how you want to be out out with me in the yard. I like how you want to be with in my home and, uh, and want to go to town or wherever it is to go. God, thank you for that. Uh, I'm glad you want to be where I am because I want to be where you are. And, and I want us to walk together and enjoy fellowship together. And that's the way it is with people that you love. The people that you love, you just want to be with them. You want to spend time together. You want to fellowship with one another because you care about each other. That's our relationship with God our Father today, isn't it? God says, verse 18, I'll be a father to you. And you'll be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. See, we may have some great and wonderful stories this morning about daddy, about father. Well, I remember this. You know, you could stand up right now and say, well, I remember this one particular time, daddy this and daddy that. And, and you just go on, you're smiling about it, you're, you're thinking about it, you're telling this story, great and wonderful stories all through your life growing up and, and even through today and, and all that sort of thing. But like I say, there's others out there that says, I ain't, no, I ain't got a whole lot of good stories about my daddy. I just, you know, my daddy was this and my daddy was that, and, and I can't even talk about it because it's we're in church and, you know, the members I've got are daddy, you know, you wouldn't want to know, and, you know, all this kind of thing. And, and so there's both ways we go with that, isn't it? And that's why God comes along and says, wait a minute. 
I'll be your father. I'll be a father to you. Maybe you have great and wonderful memories of your father, but he's dead now. Mine's gone. Mine died. And so now we're saying, well, I don't have a father. I, I wish I still had my father. You know, all that. God says, wait a minute. <laughs> I'll be a father to you. I'll still be right there with you, dwelling with you, settling down with you, listening to you, hearing your voice and responding to you and walking with you in the yard and going to town with you. And we'll have fellowship with one another because I want to be your father. You're my son. You're my daughter. And he says that to us. He said, I'm the Lord Almighty. And that's what I'm saying to you. I will be your father. And you'll be my son. You'll be my daughter. So this temple of the living God, meaning us, living in us, those who are born again, meaning if we're saved, uh, we've been rescued from sin and brought into the relationship with Christ and we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've now got this special relationship with God the Father because we've become his son or we've become his daughter. So whatever we say about our earthly father or daddy, whatever you might have called him, God says, that's me. You can have that relationship with me. You're my son. You're my daughter. And maybe you miss your father, but he says, I'm still with you. Maybe he said, I never had a father. God says, I'm your father. It's whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly, about what we have about earthly father. God says, I'm the one with you now. See, people who identify with Christ as their Lord, as their master, as their savior, may now call Jesus' father our father. Because what he did, he invited us into the kingdom with him. We became co-heirs with Christ, meaning whatever Jesus inherits, we inherit. And so we now become with Jesus, and so his father becomes our father. He adopted us, if you will, and he brought us into the kingdom with him so that we can be with him at all times. And so other scriptures talk about Jesus are, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. We kneel before our Father, our Heavenly Father, because we honor him, we worship him, we praise him, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. And so if we're saved, we're born again, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, he lives in us and we become all one big family. If we're saved today, we're all of the same family because we all have the same Father. Imagine that. Uh, Jesus said also, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. I worship you. I praise you. You're my father. You're my daddy. And I honor you with everything that I've got. You bought me. You paid for me. I'm very special in your eyes. I'm very valuable in your eyes. And so as a result of that, I praise you because you're everything to me, Father. And so your name is hallowed. Your name is holy to me. And also in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Take that word lavished. Have you heard that word before? What does the word lavish mean? Don't know? New word? Don't use it a whole lot anymore in our English language? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Heaps and bounds. Yeah, poured out. Just, I mean, just. Give it all you, here it is, everything. I just lavish it on you. Just, I give it all to you. Just, I can't give enough of it. I, I can't grasp enough of it to give you. I just want to keep giving it to you and giving it to you and giving it to you. That's what God the Father's done. How great is the love. He's lavished on it. He said, I just love you and I give you everything I got. I just keep giving it to you, especially my son Jesus. I let Jesus go to a cross and die 
just for you because I love you that much. And he says, how much can I show you that I love you more than letting my son Jesus die for you? Because he said, as sin, sinners, uh, we're, we're going to go to hell. But he said, I don't want you to. I want you to come to heaven with me. And so how am I going to get you here? I know. I'll let my son die for your sins that you should die for yourself because they're your sins. And I'll let him pay for your sins, lavishing our love on you, that we should be called children of God. You mean, God, you, 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 well, you love me so much that you want me to be your child, your son, your daughter, and you want to be my father, me? Why, God? Because I love you, and I just lavish my love upon you. And that is what we are, children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Sometimes the world looks at you as the child of God, serving God, working for God, doing what God wants you to do, living the life God wants you to live according to the Bible, and the world looks at you and says, what's wrong with you? Haven't you seen that in your life before? You're the one with the problem (laughs) because you're not acting like the world, doing what the world does, and so now you're the one with the problem. And so people point a finger at us sometimes, and people look at us sometimes like, you're strange, you're weird, you're narrow-minded, you're, you're whatever, you know, all these words. And uh, I don't want anything to do with you because you don't do what I do out in the world. And so the reason the world does not know us as a temple of God is that it did not know him, Jesus. And that's okay. God, as we saw in the earlier part of Corinthians, said, come out and be separate. Don't be what the world is. Don't do what the world does. Be different. Be set aside because our Father is a different Father than what the world has. We serve a different Father than what the world says. So finally he says, Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You say, I can't do that. You expect me to be perfect all the time? Jesus does, otherwise he wouldn't tell us to be. He wouldn't say be perfect if he didn't expect us to be perfect. So maybe we need to make sure we understand the word perfect. The word perfect simply means to be complete, to be whole, to lack no moral quality, meaning we have everything we need to be like Jesus. And so when we get the Holy Spirit... When we're born again, we're saved. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. We now have the capacity and the capability and the ability to be perfect, just like Jesus. You say, well, you may not want to follow me around for a week because you won't always find me perfect. I know. Cheryl would say the same thing about me. And so, even though she wants to be where I am all the time, But uh, we go in that direction to be perfect, don't we? Aren't we every week, we start our week off, let's call it Monday, aren't we striving every day that week just to be a little more like our Father? See, the problem comes in sometimes with this earthly Father and spiritual Father of God. Here's how that works. Usually... We look at our Heavenly Father, when we get saved, we're born again, we begin to learn about God and who He is as Father and Provider and Creator and all that. We begin to look at Him then 
the way we look at or did look at our earthly father. Meaning that if we had this great and wonderful, giving, caring, fun-loving father that lavished love on us, we look at our heavenly father like that. But if we had that mean-spirited, hateful, absent, where is he, haven't seen him in a while, he's been gone for years, kind of dad, then we begin to look at our Heavenly Father the same way when we first get saved, when we're first learning to know about God, because that's the only way we know how to look at a father, based on how we were raised by a father. So if we come from a home that says, my daddy was this, my daddy was that, and he was this, you know, all these negative things, bad things, then we begin to look at the same way our Heavenly Father, because you say, you know, my daddy left when, then we begin to look at God, well, maybe God's going to leave me too. My father disappointed me because of, and we got a story there, then we look at our Heavenly Father say, you know, God may disappoint me also because it's the way Daddy did. And all the same qualities, see how that works? We begin to look at God the way we look at heavenly, uh, earthly Father and say, that's just how our Heavenly Father is. But what we have to do is make sure we're learning who our Heavenly Father is. Our Heavenly Father's perfect. Heavenly Father doesn't make mistakes. Heavenly Father doesn't disappoint. Heavenly Father doesn't abandon us, doesn't leave us, doesn't reject us, doesn't put us down, say, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, you know, all those kind of things. God's perfect, and He wants to be our Father. And so He says, because I'm perfect, because I'm always going to lavish my love upon you, He says, I want you to look and act like me. Isn't it funny how we grow up oftentimes have the same tendencies and habits as our parent, whether it's father or mother. You know, can't you look this morning at your life and just pick out one thing, or maybe you can, just just think for a minute, and I may ask you if you want to share one. Can you think of one thing your father was, did something, had a habit, had a, uh, you know, a custom, a tradition, a habit about his life, and now you find yourself the same way? Anybody got one? All right. Oh, my brother, okay. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I know. Oh, you don't. Okay, you don't want to? Never mind. He worked to the point that detrimental. I mean, I'm just saying, he he worked a lot, worked hard. How I tend to be, I tend to be that way. And I know that wrong, but it's just. Yeah. Just yeah. Still right. Work, 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 That's right. Work, you know, yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. you know. Right. He he wasn't that way when I was coming up. He's. <laughs> <laughs> he sat in the recliner and watched TV all the time. Didn't hardly work at all. <laughs> I know. He's he's on the path. I shouldn't ask him what he wanted to say. No. <laughs> That's good, you're right. Yes, JR. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. One more. Anybody else? Okay. So, my dad, every morning would get up. He'd come in, he'd drink his coffee, he would play on his phone a little bit, and then he'd disappear to his room. I always thought, you know, he was in there playing on a computer. Well, one day, I asked him, I said, Dad, when you go to your room, what are you doing? He said, I'm reading my Bible and I'm spending time with God. Mm-hmm. And that's something 
go to my room, I sit at the table. That's mm. my meeting place with God. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. I drink coffee, eat my cereal, and I meet with God. Mm -hmm. All right. Yes, you are. <laughs> she reads to me every night. Yes. We could all share stories probably. Uh, I'm like my daddy in this area. I'm not like my daddy in that area or my mother, same way. But what about our Heavenly Father? The one who loves us the most. The one who calls us son or daughter. The one who's let his son die for us because he loves us that much. Lavished his love upon us by his son, death. Are we like him too? Do we find ourselves with his habits, if you want to look at it that way, with his customs, with his lifestyle, with his life? Do we find that as we read God's word that, oh, that's the way my father is. That's what my father does. That's how he thinks and feels and acts and works. And, and he wants me to be just like that. He wants me to be just like him. We need to be like our father, our heavenly father, because he's perfect. There's no mistakes in him, no regrets, always doing what he wants to do to do the right thing according to truth, God's truth. Are we becoming more like him every day? Do we find ourselves just walking through a week, walking through a day? I just want to be like my daddy today. I just want to be perfect, lacking nothing morally, lacking nothing that I need to be like him. I just want to be like my father. But before we can be like our father, we have to be his son or his daughter. That means being born again, being saved. That means coming into the kingdom, receiving the Holy Spirit to live in us, and becoming that temple of God. Then we can become like him because the Holy Spirit begins to do a work within us. It says, I want you to be like the father in this area of your life. I want you to be like the father in that area of your life. Something's missing here. Something's not right here. Something needs to be changed here. And the Holy Spirit begins to direct us and we become a little more like our Father every day. Are we going in that direction or do we need to start? 